0: Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, whoop, helping you create something awesome today. Sorry about looping the intro on you there. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and throw on a little bit of background music. There we go. Nice, chill vibes. As we get the show going this evening today, we're gonna be talking about hard work versus dumb luck. And which one of those plays the bigger role in your success? And I think many of you who already are familiar with me and familiar with the program already know where I'm probably going with this. Is that um, obviously there are a lot of people who believe that the biggest determining factor in success is luck, quote unquote, and they do believe or tend to say that people who have succeed have what they like to term. Survivorship bias. There may be instances where that could or could not be true. I'm going to tell you something personal that sounds very, very immodest and less than humble. I do not believe that is the case for the far majority of people or what they're relating, because I think that that largely becomes an excuse and and semantics. And I'll explain my point fairly easily throughout the show. With that in mind, I want you to consider the fact that you're probably somebody who's had to take advice at one point or another from someone in your life, whether it be your parents, your teachers, uh, your your coach if you played on a sports team, uh, a teacher if you learned a, a musical instrument, and ultimately, you wouldn't be taking their advice if they hadn't achieved some level of success in their chosen field or craft or background, or or had not had. Um, some experience. They will on occasion relate instances of their failures to you at some point or mistakes that were made that you can avoid. That is not a guarantee that you will avoid them because lived experience does matter. And sometimes you have to see and feel and experience something yourself to truly comprehend and accept it. Being told is not enough sometimes to understand. So I know there is kind of an obsession of this idea that successful people never talk about their failures. I I, I would argue that many successful people talk about their failures. I just don't think most people are that interested if it's not uh, that really compelling of a story. As human beings, the reason that we prefer people's highlight reel in Instagram or that we want to hear from the multimillionaire who came from nothing is because it is a more interesting story. And ultimately, we're deriving more value from that. The mistakes that keep people from being successful are fairly obvious. We've already lived through them. That's why there's little value in hearing them over and over and over again, because we already know what failure looks like. We've probably tasted it already, right? And we already kind of know that it probably hits closer to home and it's more familiar to us. What is unfamiliar to us, what is compelling, what is exciting is hearing something we don't already know and that we haven't experienced already. And that's why we love to live vicariously through successful people, because that's an experience we may not have already had, whereas failure is one we are often far too familiar with. Now, when I say that, does that make a little bit more sense to you, as to why, even if someone tries to tell you their failures, their mistakes, or share that, or their whatever, it's it's usually unless it's some really deeply compelling tragic story, nobody cares. I'll give you a, an interesting primary example. You know, people say, "Oh, no one shares their failures." It's like funny story. I actually um, have one of my uh, personal favorite videos on my entire. Uh, YouTube channel. My main YouTube channel is actually um me sharing my greatest failures, and is one of the worst performing videos on my channel of all time. And whereas uh, the story of um my success is one of the highest performing videos of all time, and you know how big of a gap it is—the difference in the gap is about roughly 7,000 views versus a quarter million views. That tells you which one people are more interested in. It's not about my bias. It's that more people wanted to hear the story of how I went from being a broke freelancer, a starving artist, somebody making 30 something K a year to being successful in building a six figure income for myself. That's the story people are more interested in because it's a transformation that they would aspire to for themselves and that is something that was compelling. The The story about my greatest failures is also very specific to me. It's very specific to me. It really may not apply to you guys as much. However, there are nuggets in my success story that are much more meaningful for the average person. And I think that when you're trying to learn something when you're trying to change your circumstances, you want to hear from somebody who's no longer in your circumstances because you already know about your own situation. You don't need to hear from somebody who just has a variation of your same circumstance. You need somebody who learned how to solve that problem. So that's just something that I want to bring up here in this conversation. Uh, So what about the conversation of, you know, hard versus luck? One of the problems I have with people attributing a large portion of success to luck, especially dumb luck, random chance, serendipity, is that one, it's very hard to measure. So it's very hard to attribute the proportion of success to that versus work, which is measurable. It's quantifiable. It's knowable, right? And luck is largely superstition anyway, right? So, but if you wanted to say, dumb luck is random chance, I have something for you. So statistically, if luck was random chance, then it could happen to anybody, right? It could happen to just anybody. So why is luck homogenous, quote unquote? Why is success homogenous? Why is it successful people seem to have so much in common in terms of their characteristics, a lot of their story, a lot of the things they did? Why is it that also uh, people who are rich, The way that they made their money is not that varied. The way that they made their money is pretty straightforward. The way that they built their assets is pretty straightforward, and a lot of them hold the same assets or hold the same stocks or went into the same industries or companies. Why is it these people all seem so similar? If we put everything about their situation down on paper, why is it so similar? Why is there not more variety because if success was random chance, luck, winning the lottery, there would be more variety. And when it is literally people winning the lottery, who, by the way, almost always go broke, even when luck favors them, they still manage to mostly go broke. If, see, there's variety in lottery winners. If we look at the lottery winners, there's no pattern. If we look at lottery winners, there's no pattern. If we look up millionaires, there's a pattern. If we look at people making six figures, there's a pattern. We know what jobs pay what. If we look at people making less than $50,000 a year in America, or if we look at people making less than $30,000, if we look at people making less than $20,000 a year in America, and I'm largely going to be speaking about the U.S. and America and the Western world in this because that's what I'm familiar with the most. If we look up anyone making under like $20,000 a year in America, and by the way, was one of them for a very long time. We look at people making less than $20,000 in America. There's a pattern. We know what jobs those are. We know what levels of education that tends to be. We know what specialization or lack of in education that tends to be. There's rarely anybody, almost rarely anybody with a computer science or engineering background making less than $20,000 a year in America. And when that happens, there's another pattern, some very, very specific situations and circumstances that happen to those people. And yet of the people who have computer science backgrounds, engineering backgrounds, they are the far minority of people. That's a discernible, measurable pattern. There's science behind that. There's material science for us to understand how someone got where they were. So if there's a pattern to our income levels, if there's a pattern to our jobs, If I mean, I don't think it's luck. Is it random chance that you ended up with the job or the career that you have? And the answer is no. It's not random luck or chance that you have the career that you have. And that career and that job is where your income level came from. Your income level is where your lifestyle came from. So like, if we just connect the dots, we can't attribute those things to random chance or luck. So like... That's something that I really want people to pay more attention to when they talk about blind luck determining these outcomes. And there, if you wanted to talk about luck, let's use another really cool example here of why I tend not to believe that it is the determining factor or even a significant factor in success. Before I do that, I wanna address something because I know it'll come up. What about all the successful people who absolutely attribute success, their success to luck. What about those people? I think most of those people are very good, earnest, hardworking people who don't want to sound arrogant. I also think some of those people, as hardworking and earnest as they are, may not really think too hard about how successful, how they became successful because they're just grateful and they just feel really good about it. Now, if we were going to look at the four types of luck, you're going to find which parts of quote-unquote luck those people are, uh, whether they realize it or not, attributing their success to. But I'm also going to tell you something about saying, oh, I got lucky and how psychologically that plays out. If I were to just tell you, hey, you know what? You can work hard. You need to work hard. You need to work smart. But hey – most of us just got lucky, it'd probably just make you feel better about yourself. And if I tell you that and you feel better about yourself, you now find me more likable, down to earth, relatable, approachable. That is something that can be leveraged. Because if I tell you something that you want to hear that makes you feel better about yourself, leverage is created there. But if I don't do that and I hold you accountable and ask you a bunch of questions and I go, okay, what what is the maximum level of your skill in a specialized field? What can you do that you can confidently bill a client for for $2,000 today if you send an invoice? If I start asking you really tough questions, if I tried to hold you accountable for the outcomes and circumstances and situation you have, I'm less likable, I'm less approachable. I theoretically might be more trustworthy depending on how you take all of that and depending on how I approach those questions, the tonality, what I, how well I listen, how well I respond, those things could make me more trustworthy, but they definitely make me less relatable and they make me less likable. If I challenge you, if I challenge you, I'm less likable. If I challenge you, I'm less relatable and I'm less humble. But if I tell you something comforting and I tell you, well, it's not your fault that you ended up this situation or, hey, some people just get lucky and, you know, you can sit there and you can think that they're so much better than you at this or that, but that's not the case. Here is how they were lucky or here's how they were privileged. I can tell you those things and I will, and you will like me more. And I'll, I'll tell you a harsh truth about something. Influencers, successful people, entrepreneurs, people with media training, they know that. They know how to come off very affable, likable, relatable, and humble even if it's insincere and so be very thoughtful and mindful of when people tell you something that makes you feel more comfortable and makes you feel better about yourself some of it's very well-meaning most of it is not contrived most of it's not a manipulation but you should still just hold compliments and also uh, modesty and things like that that people present with a grain of salt Um, unless you know them to have a self-deprecating personality, and then that's just more of a personal insecurity level and things of that nature, even despite their accomplishments. Because at the end of the day, the smart money is on building a brand where you're likable and where people feel you're not egotistical or arrogant or putting yourself above them. It doesn't mean that what someone is saying when they do that is how they actually feel or is true. And so it's more likely that if somebody doesn't say that, they're being more honest. And that's not shade at anybody. I'm just making a, a point that the easiest thing for a successful person to do is to tell you they got lucky instead of explaining to you in detail the difference between them and the people who started out with them who didn't succeed, If someone tells you, here is what I did differently from like, hey, I started out with five or six friends. We were all in it together, and the other five didn't make it. Here's why. That is definitely something to pay attention to and listen to because it's like if they tell you I did something differently than the other five people that I started out with or hey – I started out with a couple of people, some of them had more advantages, some of them were more talented, some of them were more privileged, some of them had more experience. Here's why some didn't make it despite all of that. Well, that's now a compelling story because there's qualifiers and there's very specific measurable things in there. I just got lucky or some people just got lucky it lets you off the hook for having to explain yourself. It lets you off the hook from having to challenge anybody It lets you off the hook from any possible stumbling block of looking less than humble and becoming um, unlikable or coming off as egotistical or a know-it-all. If you have to explain yourself, you can fall into that very easily, or people can feel like you're talking over their head or that you're talking above them in some way. You also have more opportunities if you explain yourself to offend people. And that's why most people get out of it by saying, eh, I just got lucky. And, and then there's some people who just don't actually understand the story of their own success, by the way. So again, and this is not like some big old accusation or exposed, day, hey, like on um, you know anybody or anything like that. It's just a point of saying, I've been in this game a very, very long time. I've seen the difference between what people say you know, um, when they have an audience looking at them and the big thing is they want to do no harm. So there's a way that they approach situations in terms of, let me say the thing that's most relatable or understandable or will be for the most people. But then there's a closed door conversation that happens that is less relatable and that is more detailed or specific or more self-aware or harsher. And you know, I understand it. We are in a place where, hey, that makes the most sense in the world to do that. I mean, it's not great. I don't like that that's where we are, but it makes the most sense in the world that people protect their interest and protect their brand by doing those type of things. So let's talk about the the four types of luck blind slash dumb luck, luck that comes through persistence luck that comes from preparedness and then luck that is a result of your unique character. Now I'm paraphrasing this. I'm trying to remember who, maybe it was like, uh, I, there's some book where I read this, right? there, There's some book where I read these types of luck, right? These four types of luck. So let me, let me give you um, an anecdotal example of why I think that luck is the least valuable part of success. Let's say we defined success uh, in this instance, the successful outcome of ending up with your soulmate, your person, the person you are meant to fall in love with and be with forever, okay? Let's pretend one minute I'm some magical like genie or angel or whatever, and I pluck your soulmate out of time and space and put them right in front of you within a 24-hour window. See, you were now just favored with unbelievable luck. Your person was manifested out of time and space and put right in front of you. Here's the bad news. Just because you were lucky enough that this person was put right in front of you doesn't mean that it's skip ahead to happily ever after. Because now there's a couple of ways for it to get screwed up now in there, okay? So if I give you your perfect person right now, here's the problem. You may not have the judgment and discernment to be able to understand that that's your person and that you need to do something about that right this minute. You may overlook them. You may be like, there's no way that that's my person. You may lack the judgment And the maturity and the insight to recognize the greatest opportunity that has ever come across you in your entire life. So being blessed with luck was meaningless because you lacked the ability to recognize tremendous opportunity for what it was and see the potential of what it is. You did not have the judgment you didn't have the judgment, you didn't have the insight, you didn't have the temperament for it, the maturity, whatever it was, you were like, nah, that's not my personal, oh, they're nice, but not for me. So luck didn't bless you in that moment. You were, you were like given success, you were put on easy mode, and it didn't matter. You lacked the judgment. All right, let's go another one. Let's say you have the judgment. Let's say you had the judgment. Let's say you're like, oh, my God, that's my person. This is meant to be. But then you chicken out. You lack the courage. You can't go up to them. You lose your nerve. You let them pass you by. Knowing in your heart of hearts this was your moment. You don't act. So opportunities that you don't act on, luck. Luck. Serendipity that you don't take advantage of wasted on you. All that luck wasted on you. Blessings poured directly out of heaven and it didn't matter because you lacked the courage. You had the judgment and lacked the courage. Okay. Let's say, let's go again. You got the judgment. You got the courage. You're moving forward. You're going to act. And then, despite having the judgment, knowing, yep, that's my person, having the courage, yep, walking right up to them, this is happening right now. You open your mouth and you screw it up because you were not prepared. You're So, like, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. All the luck in the universe. It didn't matter because you weren't prepared all the luck in the universe perfect judgment willingness to act all the courage all the guts all the gusto in the world no prep work no prep work you screwed it up you dropped the ball you struck out swinging a miss screwed it up and then let's say you got a second chance Let's say you got a second chance, and you still didn't prepare, having experienced the pain that that brought you the first go-round. Swing and a miss again. Two strikes. You got lucky twice. You were twice blessed, and yet still managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Because you still didn't learn the lesson. You didn't understand the assignment and you screwed it up twice. So, again, how important was luck in the outcome there? This wasn't bad luck. This was on you, you see? And this is why, for me, the idea of, well, some people get opportunities or some people are just lucky, right place. Right time, right people. You hear it so often. Right place, right time. Knowing the right place and the right time is judgment. It is something you can observe. Could it be serendipity? Could it randomly happen? Absolutely. It also can be calculated, planned for, and contrived. You can know what the right place is by being observant, doing pattern recognition, doing research, being prepared. You can know what the right time is by also being observant. You can know what the right people are by being the servant, being thoughtful, being mindful, prepar- preparing, having a plan, having a win condition. Absolutely. And you can know what the right thing to say is by paying attention to. So, again, a lot of people, this is how they make their own luck. This is how they make their own opportunities. They know who the right people or type of people are to help change their circumstances, their situation, or better their lives. They know who they need to be around. They knew who they need to not be around. Right place, right time. You know what's another good thing besides right place, right time, right people? Avoiding the wrong places, knowing the wrong time and what a bad time is, and avoiding the wrong people because you know what the wrong people are too. That helps considerably in determining people's outcomes is having that judgment, that discernment. So you you have to consider that. You absolutely have to consider that. Now in the live chat, uh, we've got a longtime fan of the show, glue guns and roses. I think there are a lot of people that can't put the explanation to words and saying I got lucky is the easiest way to explain it. Absolutely, absolutely. Portia of Asha says, sorry, Portrait of Asha. Portrait of Asha, sorry about that. Portrait of Asha, or is it portrait of Asia? Portrait of Asia says, I've caused so much offense by excitedly explaining how I've achieved success. I thought it was being helpful but turned people off. I understand why people say they got lucky. A hundred percent, this is real. I mean, this is real. Um, I know this even myself from personal experience that uh, a lot of people, they'll ask you that. And again, they're hoping to hear you just, you know, say something flippant, like I got lucky and make them feel better. They don't actually want to know a lot of times. There are people who do. And uh, again, I make my content and I make uh, my podcast and my show and everything I do about the people who want to know. Um, and and uh, Melly Cinco has a great point. Uh, you can't share with everyone, but that's a good point. Totally understand you. Absolutely. Uh, there, there is um, a situation where, again, you have to also know that and you have to know that. And that's why I don't blame uh, public speakers, influencers, celebrities, entrepreneurs who say that. When they're in public or in an interview or on stage, they'll say, well, I just I hey, luck plays a big role or I got like they say that because it's what they're supposed to say. And it's what's going to be the least damaging to say. And it's going to make a lot of people feel really good about their circumstances. And, and, and it's just easier, frankly, in many cases to say that. And I don't fault them for it one bit because we've kind of created a scenario where people feel they have to do that. And so I, I, I don't blame them at all for that um so so that's a that's a whole thing d'angelo uh satillion says the prepared aspect is something i lacked when i was younger so i definitely felt that and feeling the experience you know speaking of like when you're younger and this is something i didn't understand i understand most of this when i was younger you learn these things as you get older and gain experience and maturity and thoughtfulness if you happen to mature and become thoughtful as you come old become older or you reflect or you're uh, exposed to new things and new ideas or a new mindset then you you come to appreciate these kind of lessons a lot more in that situation so what something that, you know, I wanted to bring up is that we have a tremendous opportunity right now that our parents and grandparents didn't ever have. If we wanted to say that we're lucky or blessed, we could attribute it to the time that we were born in. That's fair to do. You can attribute it to, you know, thing. you can attribute that to, oh, well, I didn't do anything special to have this time and opportunity to live in this era, that's fine. Or your health, that's fine. You can feel blessed about that. Absolutely, I do. But a lot of people have that situation. A lot of people have that, you know, fortunate circumstance. Do they end up ultimately succeeding? No. So what 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 determines success? How do we become successful? Well, one of it is, you know, people move this goalpost and they say, well, everyone decides what success looks like for them. And we say that, but we don't really believe that, do we? Do we say that just to make ourselves feel better or so we can move the goalpost? No. So let's let's look at it a different way. A lot of people will say that you can't. Say that success is a matter of just working hard. everyone works hard and not everyone's successful or if every if hard work mattered, then everyone would be rich. I don't think everyone has said that like hard work makes you rich. People say hard work works. And when you say and then when people say well everyone's working hard, well that's not true. First of all, we know it's not true because every one of us has been the person picking up slack. For the other employees that were screwing around, everyone of us has been at some point, maybe that person who was on a project and carried the team and everyone got the same grade, but you did all the work. There's enough of us in the audience who have done that. So that's not necessarily true. First of all, it's a cop out. It's a straw man. It's not true. No, everyone doesn't work hard. And that's not to say we're all working hard on the same things. It's also not true that we're all working hard on things that would create a very enviable circumstance or outcome. Someone working hard on being the best Call of Duty player they can be is not the same thing as someone who's working hard on learning how to code. Someone who's working hard on their garden is not working hard on their YouTube channel, podcast, TikTok, or Twitch. Their hard work is not going to equal the same thing. Obviously, clearly. Someone working hard on their arms is not going to be the same as someone working on their legs. Someone working on their legs and then saying, like, why can't I bench this much? I worked really hard. And somebody who, like, has been hitting their arms saying, geez, why am I not faster? We would say that that is ridiculous. We'd all say that's ridiculous. And yet, in the world... You have so many people who literally are making these absurd, contrived comparisons of working hard and then not being rich or successful or wealthy or, or famous or any of these things when it's like, well, are you doing anything that would result in that? And the answer is usually no. And the answer is usually no. Has anyone ever worked hard at the thing you're working hard at and gotten the result that you're comparing to? And the answer is no. In most of those cases, it doesn't stand up to the scrutiny of being audited. There are things we know that if we worked hard on, we would make money. If we're working hard on money-making things, we usually tend to make money. If we're not working hard on things that scale and make money, we're not surprised when we don't make money. So like that's kind of the difference is the choices we're making in terms of what our priorities are. Tied to those very, very, very specific outcomes. And I'll give you a primary example of this when people try to say, well, hard work doesn't work. You know what I ask a lot of them? I was like, when you work out and you work hard and you hit the gym or you do whatever, so you're saying when you work hard on your body, you don't get stronger? That's weird. Is that some weird, like, thing you've got going on to where when you work out, you don't get any stronger, any faster, any more fit at all? And they go, well, no, obviously when I work out and everything like that, yeah, I feel good and I get stronger. And I, I'm like, okay, so that works. So I was like, okay, when you study something a lot and you're consistent at that, you mean you don't become smarter than before you studied? Well, That's weird. What, how's that how it work? And they go, no, if I study something, if I put time in on it, if I work on it for a couple of months, yeah, I'm smarter than when – I started out. I'm like, okay, so explain to me how hard work doesn't pay off and that hard work doesn't work and hard work doesn't make you successful because it seems to me that your own lived experience tells you that when you try to learn something and you study at it and you're consistent and you're thorough and you're diligent and you're going through like a really good study routine, that studying benefits you. Or that just trying to learn something new that you didn't know before seems to benefit you in the fact that, oh, you have another piece of knowledge or a skill that you didn't have before you started. Or that you're better than when you started. You're better off than having not done anything at all. So if, if when you do something and you're trying to learn something new or you're trying to get stronger, faster, whatever, if you end up better off than if you had done nothing at all, you can't say that – hard work on those things, those specific things doesn't work. And we know that. So I go, so what hard work is it that's not paying off for you? And they go, well, I work hard at my job all day and I'm not rich. I'm like, your job never said that that job description, that job title never said, and nobody ever told you that if you work hard at that job, you'll be rich. No one ever told you that. So why is that the issue? Well, people keep saying, and entrepreneurs keep saying, it's like, Entrepreneurs who work for themselves keep saying that they work very hard and that's why they're successful. At working at something where they keep almost majority or all of the profit, and you're working hard at something where someone else keeps the majority of the profit, and you're surprised that you're playing a different game and getting a different outcome. And see, that's the That's the difference. Working hard at being an employee is absolutely not necessarily guaranteed to make you rich. It would be very rare for that to be the case unless you were working hard as an employee, a very high-level prestigious career, and we all know which ones those are. Real estate agent, doctor, but not just any doctor, probably a specialist, maybe a surgeon, or lawyer, and not just any lawyer but somebody that, again, would be in a high-paying position, probably somebody in entertainment law, intellectual property law, you know, real estate law, something that would be prestigious enough and have a high-paying clientele, people who work in finance, not everyone who works in finance, but people who work managing large sums of money. So we know which careers working hard at pay very high salaries, or have very high compensation packages of some kind, We or good options on stocks. We know which careers do that. We know which companies do that. It's not surprising at all that those people working hard in those circumstances become successful. We already know that. It's practically a foregone conclusion as long as they don't screw it up. We know that. So why are we pretending sometimes that we're playing the same game As them when we make those comparisons because they're not really comparable i remember that when i was making um retail work um in uh i was a kid in let's say um ages like you know my teens and 20s started working at 17 i was working at macy's it was hex back then but it's owned by macy's they're both aimed by the same parent company was working in the shoe department in Macy's. I wasn't shocked that that's not a job that people say leads to riches. When I worked at Walden Bookstore, which becomes Borders, it's owned by Borders. You can see a pattern here uh, in retail. Yeah, kids who work in the bookstore don't necessarily become rich from working in the bookstore. Uh, 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 you know, I worked at uh, Champ Sports. You know, you 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 work selling uh, sneakers, jerseys, and hoodies at a uh, you know, shop in the mall, it's like, oh, that's probably not necessarily your road to riches per se, right? It's, it's an obvious outcome of what that's going to do and what that's going to pay and everything like that, which is why, hint, I didn't stay in those jobs. I worked on specializing my skills and I didn't even actually finish getting a four-year degree. And I went to community college And so people say, oh, well, because you're rare, you're lucky. It's like, "Mm, rarity isn't luck. Rarity is rarity. It's outlier uh, results come from outlier actions and outlier choices, you know. And so what I realized was this, by the way. I realized that no matter how hard I work, if I'm doing time-based labor There's an upper limit to how much money I can make. That's a mathematical conclusion that's easy to come up with. And it's easy to realize that the limit on your ability to earn income is directly proportionate to time if your income is time-based. If your income is time-based, your ability to earn money is severely limited. It's extraordinarily limited. So trading time for money is probably the worst outcome in terms of if you're making money at all. So trading time for money is not scalable. It's extraordinarily limiting. We talked about this in our episode about passive income versus active income. What I realized is, to be honest with you, all those years as a teenager that I worked in the mall – I should never have really been doing that. What I should have done is I should have kept mowing lawns because here's the difference. Mowing lawns took me maybe two hours and I would make $50 or $60 to work two to three hours mowing a lawn, cash in hand. I should have kept hustling that instead of working at the mall for $6 an hour because even though I would have to specifically also work and have some sunk cost in getting um, you know, those lawn care customers and doing that, it still would have been more practical hours for dollars to just mow lawns instead of work for $6 an hour. And it's not even close. I would have been better off. And when it wasn't summer and I could mow lawns, It was going to be raking leaves in the fall. And when it wasn't that, I could have just kept finding people to set up their home office. This is is back in the early 2000s and making money that way, helping people remove viruses from their computers and everything like that, um, helping and doing AV work uh, for churches. I could have made more money because it wasn't based on hourly time-based wages by setting a price for a service and I could have in my teens and twenties made considerably more money by just doing that instead of working $6 an hour in the mall. It would have been the smarter move because I wouldn't have been trading time for money. I would have been trading results for money. And back then, if I had known anything about investing at all, I would have been saving my coins, and even back then, I could have been early invested in tech, and as they say, the rest would have been history. That opportunity was there. I lacked the judgment and maturity because I wanted the social status and social acceptance of being part of the W2 9-to-5 workforce like everybody else because it was a badge of honor and a sign of adulthood to go And work for a wage, which is dumb when the real practical answer is that I didn't need a W-2, nine-to-five job. I needed money. I needed an income. Attaining it morally and lawfully by doing work independently on my own, mowing lawns, raking leaves, doing odd jobs, doing photography, doing whatever – would have been wildly practical and just as valid, but it would have been infinitely more rewarding, giving me time, freedom, um, autonomy, and uh, the ability to control, to some extent, how much money I was going to make. And that would have been fine. And today, what we have, thank God, is between the creator economy and the gig economy, Young people today don't have to start out in the workforce for these like very low wages, which, by the way, are to some extent – I would argue even today that for entry-level work that you can do at 16 and 17 years old or 15 if you had a worker's permit, depending on what your, your state's rules are, uh, in work that requires no training, no background, no specialization, no degree, no specific skills – Yeah, of course it pays almost nothing. Of course it pays very low. I don't know that that's wildly inappropriate when I look back on it. When I look back on it, as much as I may not like it, I was probably compensated about appropriately, even by today's standards for what that is, um, whatever the minimum wage would be where I would live because in order to get that job, I didn't need more than a high school education if that, if that. I needed no specialized skills and anyone could have been taught to do my job in less than 30 days. Meaning it would not have been that difficult to replace me from a bare minimum standpoint. So when I look at that, I cannot be mad about what I was being paid back then. At all. So it's one of those things to where... From a practicality standpoint, even then I didn't realize I probably had more options than I thought. Now, today, a young person, if I was 17, 18, 19, 20 today, I wouldn't have had to even consider that. I could have done lawn care. I could have done gig work, freelancing, graphic design, YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, and made the same kind of money. It's not abnormal for a young person today or a teenager to make more money doing YouTube, Twitch, or TikTok, than they would work at McDonald's. And it's not even close. And so that's not predicated on luck. That's a matter of somebody saying, I'm willing to risk making zero, but I know that I can control my money and make more, which is why a lot of young YouTubers' first job is YouTube, so to speak. Um. Nino and Lowe says you're making good points, but there has to be a starting point, a starting place where the worker is at a disadvantage. It depends on what you define a disadvantage. The reality is that the person asking for something usually always has the least leverage. You can say disadvantage. A lot of people like to throw out the word exploited. I use the word leverage because we're talking about exchange. We're talking about exchange, but the thing is the person asking in that situation. I would say, you can say they're disadvantaged, but I would say they just lack leverage. And this may be semantics, but I'm speaking for myself here. When I was a 17-year-old kid, there's not a lot that I had to offer that was the specifics of what somebody in the position to hire is wanting to hear or wanting to get in exchange. Now, when I was negotiating for myself with regard to um, lawn care, for example, I didn't need that much leverage. When it came to my technical abilities, though, as a 17- and 18-year-old, helping people who were in their late 30s or 40s set up computers in the early 2000s who didn't understand the internet or hardware or computers or software antivirus, here's the thing about that. I may have been young, but I had more leverage when it came to tech than I could have ever had when it came to retail, and I didn't recognize and understand it. That one's on me. That's on me. That's my bad. That's my bad that I didn't fully grasp that concept. But I had the advantage when it came to technology and I had no advantages or nothing of superior ability in the early days of me doing retail. Now, when I started getting experience and I worked myself up to manager and when I had the sales numbers and stuff like that, then I had some leverage. Not a lot, though. Not a lot. Salesmanship wasn't necessarily enough leverage. But I absolutely had leverage and had the advantage when I was doing things on the side. When I was side hustling in the early 2000s and it came to setting up somebody's home office, like when it comes to setting up a home office, it's like, you know, Roberto's basically got it covered here. You know, when it comes to setting up a home office. Uh, yeah. Like even back then, I got it. Right. So I had. advantage that i could press i had something that i could use as leverage in that situation which was specific knowledge specific knowledge specific information specialized skills were an advantage and it was also in a domain where very few people in the area or in the community or that they would have access to could compete with me because how many tech smart Geeks and nerds in that small town, not as many as you would think. So probably like me and like a handful of people. So uh, not a lot of competition. That was another factor. What level of competition exists, right? So this was a thing of I didn't recognize and have the judgment to understand the opportunity to work smart here and realize that I had an advantage I could press again. I went for the social acceptance of here's what you're supposed to be doing. Here's what everyone else is doing. Like do that. When what I should have pressed is my outlier advantage. If I had pressed my outlier advantage, I would have gotten further ahead because I would have had more money, more resources and gained more experience in a specialized area versus a non-specialized area. Therein lies the difference. Therein lies the difference in creating a different outcome, not luck. Judgment was the, uh, was my downfall there. Not knowing better, not seeing it, okay? So there's that. Uh, Glue Guns and Roses says, I remember, do you remember? <laughs> um, so like she says, I remember when my grandmother got a computer in 1999-ish. She tried to use the mouse like a remote. She would pick it up and point it at the computer. She tried to hire someone to help her learn the tech. Exactly, and that could have been me. That, Like in that situation, that would be someone like me. So uh, there were these... Things that even back then were on the table, I didn't understand that that was on the table. And therefore, it wasn't down to luck. It was down to judgment on my part. It was down to understanding the opportunity in front of me. I could not recognize it. I could not see it. I could not perceive it, even though I was literally, it was right in front of me. It was right in front of me, and I did not take advantage of it. That's all. That's all it was. So that was, you know, on me. Now, when we when we talk about um, situations where people go and they legitimately feel like they got lucky, the, the, the example everyone uses is YouTube and going viral or the algorithm because they don't control that. But what they control is you can't go viral on a video you never uploaded. And when I say that, people go, okay, well, what about everyone uploading who doesn't go viral? It's like, Well, were they intentionally making something that could even remotely go viral? And the answer is usually, well, no. And it's not to say that everyone who goes viral intentionally went viral. Most people probably go viral by accident, but they're making something that had the potential to do that. And usually the pattern of people who do that kind of thing and go viral, they have a lot in common. A lot of them often are young for a reason. And why? It's because, well, they're part of the culture of watching entertaining viral videos and most people mimic what they enjoy or what they who they look up to. So if they are somebody who was watching PewDiePie or Mr. Beast or, or Casey Neistat, that means that they were already consuming viral content being shaped and molded by viral content, which means by the time they make something, there will be viral elements in the makeup of how they think about YouTube or TikTok or whatever. So that makes a difference. It does make a difference. It means the opportunity is there. But again, you can't go viral on a video you never upload. So them having the courage to do YouTube in the first place gives them that outlier ability and potential to to be on YouTube in the first place. Most people are not making content. And then whatever the type of content they made, well, that's their unique characteristics that would make that content. That's who they are as a person. So then that's what leads to the result. And again, just because an outcome is rare or not everyone has it doesn't mean that it's lucky. You can say that they're fortunate. Maybe that's what people are trying to communicate. Oh, that they're very fortunate. And a lot of people are not. If you want to communicate that someone has a rare circumstance, you don't say lucky. You say that they're fortunate. And that is a way to communicate that they have a situation that a lot of people would love to have. And that's fine. That's valid but it wasn't by happenstance that they ended up with those circumstances. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And your ability to articulate it or understand it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Codations, what's up? Thanks, brother. Thanks for the one-on-one coaching session. You are very welcome. I had a great time uh, talking with you about your content. Nino and Lowe says, I feel that I have tons of leverage and specific information, but to enter the world of content creating, we take a hit and give up so much of our leverage. I need to look at it with different eyes. I mean, you might. I mean, it's a risk versus reward thing. Not everyone is prepared to take that risk. That's a characteristic, too. Risk aversion, temperament, personality. Personality isn't luck. A lot of that's a choice, too, in terms of are you willing to change your stance on things? Are you willing to change your habits, your behavior, your mindset, your point of view? Your character and who you are and your personality and like what you, you know, your beliefs determine a lot of things. A lot of people change their outcomes by changing their belief systems. They change their circumstances by doing that. I mean, that's and some people go out of their way to change the inputs of things that make them think or feel or believe the things they think or feel or believe. That's why some people move and leave to cities instead of small towns. They want to be around other people like them because they feel like that will be the thing that makes a difference or they want to leave behind uh, memories or relationships or things that they feel are uh, still shaping them or that they're still too attached to. There's all kinds of reasons there. So just kind of keep in mind that uh, at the end of the day, um yeah we have to risk things to get rewarded we have to take chances on things we have to have courage uh and again it's not a guarantee of it working out but not doing it's a guarantee of it not working out so so we know that so we have to we have to do things for things to have any chance of happening you can't have success on something you haven't done if you don't do something there's nothing for the the success to materialize from. There's no way to be successful on you 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 know, you miss every shot you don't take. I know it's a it's a truism that people are tired of hearing. I know it's a cliche people are tired of hearing, but it's absolutely true. And the best analogy of that was when we talked about your soulmate. It's like not, like the perfect person, your person. If you don't go and talk to them, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Shooting your shot, taking chances. You know, here's a you know, I know another secret and pattern of success. People who are risk adverse are less successful. I hate to break it to you, but in almost every aspect of life, whether it's relationships, money, business, success, sports, people who play it safe, people who are risk-adverse lose more often than people who do not, or they are less successful overall. Fortune favors the bold. In some cases, if you're wondering why, people that are less talented, less intelligent, sometimes are more successful, this is a harsh truth I learned later in life. I'm about to be 38 this year. I'm almost 40. This took me a long time to get through my thick skull. Confidence matters. I'll say it again. Confidence matters. In some cases, and you may not respect this, confidence matters more than competency. This was a hard pill for me to swallow, especially as a nerd. So I understand if people don't respect it, are not interested in hearing it, or they think that that's unfair. Being brave is often more valuable than being skilled. We would think it shouldn't be, but I want you to understand something. No one admires or respects a smart coward. Nobody admires or respects a smart and brilliant coward. Even if you are an idiot, but you're brave and earnest and you are just like audacious in going forward and just having some guts, even if you fall flat on your face, people respect that you tried and you poured your heart out and they'll root for you. And the thing is they might even reward you in spite of your failures. But if you're a smart coward and you just hang in the back, even when you win, people will hate you for it and they'll begrudge you that and they might even try to make sure that next time you fail. Courage and confidence is almost always on some level important to be successful, whether it's in the fact that you end up taking more chances, higher risk and higher rewards, or that it draws more people to you that want to support you and want to make sure that you eventually win. And I, I took me forever to understand that. It took me forever to understand that people will root for somebody even if they screw up, even if they lose, if they have the guts to try and if they are just like keep going and they keep pushing and people are like when they finally finally succeed people are there and they're like yes and they celebrate that win almost as much as if it was their own but cowardice even if you win if you're a coward nobody respects you even on the merits of your victory they will just grudgingly accept it at best and they'll root for you to eventually lose and so it really does matter, like how you play the game, win or lose, does matter. There are characteristics that are important and are more likely to make you successful. Oh, this is uh, this is this one's harsh, but like this is funny. So the fancy cakery says, "Look at the woman from Theranus." I believe that's. I want to say it's Elizabeth Holmes, but yeah, the woman from Thuram is, she talked a really good game. She talked her talk. She was super confident, sounded smart, but had nothing to back it up. And she literally became a billionaire, a billionaire. That's why um, con artist, the con comes from the word confidence. And it used to be con man stood for confidence, man. Con man stood for confidence, man. Um, and, and the thing is, that's the um, that's the weird thing is that a confident person who just puts on like a suit and a tie with a briefcase can convince you of like almost anything. It's really weird. And it doesn't matter if you're a smart person, you can be tricked by this too. Um, Because most of us just don't have that same level of confidence. And on the other hand, um, a brilliant person with real results that might seem more modest. If a brilliant person uh, is shabby, unshaven um, stutters, sweating uh they could be right about everything 100 and we won't take them seriously right um and and they're not projecting confidence a smart person who doesn't project confidence will lose to an idiot who does and it's so annoying it's so annoying it gets on my nerves it gets on your nerves it's like but the thing is it the reason it works is because of our own psychology because the thing is our own insecurities make us vulnerable to these people Which is why the best defense, the most, the best mental defense, the best mental defense against um, scumbags, con men, and um, charlatans is to not act on emotion or insecurity and to not um, be hasty, to not be in a rush, to not be in a rush, to slow down and to take your time and to not be fearful of missing out, and do not let somebody... If somebody's trying to make you insecure, that's a sign. If someone's trying to make you insecure about them, like, you know, just walking away or doing this, or you missing out, like, that's bad. That's a sign. That's a sign, and you need to be slow and thoughtful because if they're serious, um, then the opportunity will still be there later. Like, so it's, you know... One of the things that I get frustrated with is the the um, the stress that people put on urgency, like urgency um, causes anxiety, anxiety makes you act out of desperation and almost no good decisions are made from a place of desperation. I want you to hear that one again. There's almost no good decision. There's almost no good decision that's ever been made from a place of absolute desperation or fear. Fearfulness and desperation are not your ally. They are always serving someone else and it is not you. So people who employ those tools are not working in your interest. And you need to be aware of that. And so even with that, you need to understand that success isn't always about luck. There's a reason that things happen. There's a reason that things happen, good or bad. Good or bad, there's always a reasonable logical measurable explanation for everything just because you haven't found it yet doesn't mean there isn't one <laughs> like so don't be superstitious don't be superstitious there's a reason for everything you may not like the reason you may not agree with the reason you you may not be a fan but there's a reason there's a reason we just were reluctant sometimes to admit it because of what it might say about us or what it might say about the world or what it might say about our belief systems we, we don't like that, but we have to get to a place to where we can um, accept the truth that's in front of us. When we accept the truths that are in front of us, the obviousness of the truth, the simplicity of the truth, then it's one of our best defenses in the world. It's one of our best defenses in the world. But the thing is, we have to, we have to let go of a certain amount of ego in order to make that work. We have to let go of a certain amount of ego in order to make that work and to be able to protect ourselves because we're what we're going to have to do is our ego is going to be bruised, but everything else is going to be preserved. What happens is we make mistakes and we hurt ourselves because we're trying to preserve and protect our ego. So we're sacrificing something else in exchange. See how that works? Like that's that's a big thing. So with regard to, well, what matters more is... Okay, if you want to believe there is a such thing as a little bit of luck going a long way and not necessarily the luck we talked about that comes from preparation or judgment or your unique abilities, okay, if you just want to believe random, blind, dumb luck plays a role, it plays the minimal role. It plays the minimum role because even if it's bad luck, and bad luck, okay, sure. If I believe in luck, I believe in bad luck. I believe it. Yep, bad luck, fine. You want to believe in some superstition? I'll believe in the bad luck. <laughs> I'll believe in the bad luck. Um, So if I, if I believe in that, then here's the good news about that, though. But if there's bad luck randomly happening, but I'm prepared because I was like, you know what? Just in case, well, then – It goes, ha, 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 that bad thing happened, but I was prepared. And then I feel really good about it, right? It's like, ha, 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 I was prepared. You didn't catch me unawares. You know, that's um, so that's the thing. Um, Bad luck happens, but oh, like maybe I was unprepared fully, but I endured it, survived, got through it. Then you feel really good and confident about that a lot of times. Or it's like, or when there was this bad luck, but you had the judgment and the foresight, and you sidestepped it even just barely, you feel really good about that. You feel really good about that. So, again, this is why I diminish the role of luck and success so much because good luck is squandered on people who have poor judgment, don't have the courage to act on it, or, despite both, manage to just find some way to screw it up and snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And you see it over and over again, and you hate to see it. Again, lottery curse. What's the lottery curse? Lottery curse. People were gifted with money falling out of the sky from heaven and somehow screwed it up. Lottery curse. So, hmm, like, you know, how how much, how much good luck matters? Very minimal in my opinion. Okay? Um, right place, right time. People are blessed to end up in wonderful circumstances with wonderful people and what do they do? They screw it up. <laughs> so <laughs> how much good did it do to have that luck? Uh, not that much, apparently not that much, apparently because their character fell through. You get this wonderful, but po- think about it. Think about how many people were blessed to meet the wonderful, most amazing people in the world. And then what do they go do, they, they go and screw it up and they cheat. They lie. Um, they, they, destroy their relationship. They destroy their marriage. They destroy their family. So what good did it do to be lucky, to be blessed in that situation if your character couldn't hold up to it? Their character was the issue, not their luck. They were given the good luck. They were given the blessings from above and their character undermined all of it. That that happens. That happens. You can't blame anybody you know it's like it's all at that point it's on you so it's a fact that we kind of use we use this this idea uh that we that luck plays a role in success or failure or or that plays a large role we use this i believe to negate having to take responsibility we use it because we don't want to have to explain or think about it or think it through sometimes and we don't like to admit that there's a reason for everything and that there's probably some discernible pattern and we don't like what it tells us. We don't like what it says about us or the world or one of our belief systems. And that's all. That's all it is. We, we very rarely want to take any responsibility for how these things turn out. Uh, But there's a reason for everything when it all boils down to it and we know it deep down in our heart of hearts. We know that it wasn't happenstance. Now, there are things that happen, but about what we do about them is what matters. Bad things happen. Good things happen. But what we do about them is ultimately what decides. Random bad things happen. I'm not saying they don't. Random good things happen. I'm not saying they don't. But if random good things happen and you lack judgment, courage, character, it doesn't do you that much good. And if bad things happen, but you were prepared and you had good judgment, you can overcome them and come out more powerful and better and more confident as a result. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, but the thing is, it has the opportunity to. And so you have to remember that opportunity and preparation is going to determine the good luck or the bad luck, good luck or bad luck. Uh, what was it? It was from Spider-Man the animated series was uncle Ben was telling a young Peter Parker in a flashback. He was like, you know, he was like, Pete was crying about his rod and luck. He's like, Ben, uncle Ben, you know, I have rod and luck. They were out there fishing. He was like, Peter, good luck or bad luck is nothing more than the right or wrong, uh, combination of confidence, preparation and opportunity. And I know that you're prepared because I had a hand in that, son. So we're looking at nothing but opportunity. And so he was like, you know, he was explaining to, to Peter that it's like, look, I, I taught you everything I know, son. I taught you how to face and meet the world. And if you meet it with courage, you're going to be all right. Come what may. And, you know, it's a really good lesson. I miss that there were cartoons like that. I really miss there were cartoons like that that could impart that kind of lesson. Um, it's because I think it's a valuable one to understand that your own confidence, your courage, your character, what you believe in, and the amount of diligence you do in preparing to meet the world he- head on, knowing things won't always go your way, is what matters. And that's why I think so many people resonate with Spider-Man is because of those kind of lessons and because um, despite all the horrible things that happens to Peter Parker um, or the people around him, um, he manages to keep his good heart. He manages to keep doing the right thing over and over because somebody has to, you know? Um, And so um, I'm 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 really, like, glad that I got to grow up in an era where that kind of message was communicated and was instilled in the lives of, of young people back then. I don't know that there's enough of that today. Uh, we see it in some films, we see it in some shows, but probably not enough. And we probably don't see enough examples of it in the world and the the people around us. And we some of us probably don't set that example for young people. And again, you're living your own life. It's not necessarily your responsibility to be a role model. I don't know if I believe in role models, but I do believe in heroes and I do believe in lessons and I do believe in... Um, The fact that, you know, people can be better every day. They absolutely can. And when you realize that, you realize that that's not down to luck. That is a choice to be better every day or not to. That's a choice. Circumstances aside, you have a choice to be better every day or not. And we all make it. And we all make it. So, you know. I think that's the thought that I want to leave everyone with on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. If you're in the live audience, stay tuned. But if you're an audio only listener, this is the end of the show for you. You want to make sure that you check out the YouTube channel, subscribe with notifications so that you can be part of the live audience and the Q&A after show that takes place. Anyway, that's it for me. Stay awesome. I'll catch you next time episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.